Welcome to the Thriving Farmer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Kilpatrick. Our mission is to inspire, educate, and celebrate sustainable farming. We believe that you can build a profitable, sustainable farm that gives you true farm freedom. Join us as we talk to farmers, innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs to glean their top takeaways in business and life. Steward is transforming agriculture by equipping regenerative farms and food systems with the capital they need to grow. As a mission-driven financial partner, Steward works closely with agriculture businesses to scale their operations, improve the health of their lands and waters, and boister farm-to-regional food systems. To date, Steward has provided over $15 million in business loans to fund 75 unique projects backed by more than 1,500 participating lenders. Steward is proud to be a certified B Corp., Seek financing or support a loan campaign at gosteward.com. Hey, Thriving Farmers, Michael Kilpatrick here with yet another episode of the Thriving Farmer podcast. Today, my guest is Sasha Miller, who is with Purple Brown Farmstead. She started the farmstead with her husband in 2016 as part of the Countryside Initiative Program in the Cuyahoga Valley National Park. It's a 12-acre certified organic diversified farm designed and managed using permaculture principles. The main products include pork, mushrooms, perennial vegetables and fruit, eggs, and more. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So share a little bit about how you got started farming. We did not grow up farming, me and my husband, neither one of us. And we were living in Chicago at a time um, when our kids were born and um, we were really at a fork in the road, if you will. And we decided to take a sharp left and move back to Ohio um, and it was really an opportunity for me to kind of restart and refresh my professional career. Um, so it was really a culmination of my background, um, but farming just seemed like a great intersection of my professional and personal interests and um, a really great way to raise a family and uh, teach our kids kind of the values that we, we really want them to grow up with. Um, and really farming is a way for me to um, pursue community development and economic development in a really healthy way that um, helps to support our environment as well. Um, so that was really the precipice. And we looked for farmland, um, you know, for a long time all over Ohio. Land access is a big issue. And we definitely felt that. Um, but this program here in the Cuyahoga Valley National Park is really unique. Uh, we actually have a long-term lease uh, from the National Park for these 12 acres. Um, this is a historic farmstead. Uh, but for all intents and purposes, we uh, just get to operate it as a private business. Um, but it is a unique partnership and we are leasing the land and it really um, provides us an opportunity to really like demonstrate much more regenerative practices of agriculture and how conservation and farming can really go hand in hand um, to have a positive impact on each other. And, you know, the type of community that's built around good food and small farms is just always, um, always a positive. So getting into farming for me was really, um, you know, I love to be outside. I love to work with my hands. I've always um, wanted to garden and, you know, kind of um, help to protect our environment, you know, hands on. And farming seemed like a really great way to get into that and also accomplish all these other goals. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So what ages were your kids when you started the farm? Oh, let's see, about around like four, four or five years old. Okay. So pretty young. And so let's talk through, like, as you built the farm, what kind of things have changed about it? 
So um, I got my uh, permaculture certificate, like right as I was uh, putting together the proposal for this farm. So it was really an opportunity to do like a full on permaculture design on these 12 acres. So that was really the approach. And uh, with that in mind, you know, you really start by designing the system and putting in um, some of the bigger pieces, like, you know, really thinking about water and um, the health of the water system on the farm and the health of the soil on the farm. And really what are those pieces that you put into place first? Um, and, and then you kind of fill in the details. So in the first five, we've been here, yeah, so six and a half years now. Um, and it really feels like it's finally starting to take shape. Mm -hmm, about, mm -hmm. um, about like two or more acres planted in fruit trees with a productive um, herbaceous understory. Uh, we have a pond here on the farm that we've been rehabilitating. Um, it was quite overgrown when we got started. Um, so that's been, you know, a, a work in progress. Um, and we have pastured animals uh, over the 12 acres. So we really um, are beginning to see the difference in the types of growth we see in those fields. Um, we're starting to see, you know, the, the fruit trees are just beginning to produce. Um, and so some of that, some of that is beginning to happen. You know, the asparagus harvests have been abundant now for a couple of years and um, that feels pretty great. And otherwise, you know, I, I finally feel like we're we're kind of getting getting to the groove of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then you also opened a store in the in the local town, correct? Yeah, Peninsula in, in is right in the heart of the Cuyahoga Valley National Park. Um, and it's a historic little charming town village, I should say. And um, we, you know, in 2020, I, I guess since we started the farm, really, we always had like a little farm stand of just mm -hmm. our products in the barn. And we always did farmers markets and um, had a couple of wholesale accounts here and there as we were getting started. Uh, but in 2020, you know, everything kind of shifted. And um, as everybody else, we also adapted and um, kind of figured it out as we went along. So our first step was really when the farmer's market was canceled was to open up a farm stand um, in our barn um, kind of more actively. So we invited some of our farmer friends that we'd been chatting about doing cooperative things with, mm -hmm. you know, to sell some of their products in our barn. And, you know, week to week, more folks kept coming. And we, uh, by the end of the year, had uh, 12 or so vendors and, you know, hundreds of customers come in because um, we are kind of situated near near the markets and near suburbs. Um, and that winter, we were kind of scratching our head thinking, well, we can't keep doing this, <laughs> this yeah. in, the, in the barn anymore. I mean, we do overwinter the pigs down below and, you know, it's a working farm. So having um, having like a full on store on the farm really was kind of not not matching up. So we knew something had to shift and we saw this place was for rent in Peninsula and just jumped on the opportunity. It seemed like a really natural next step uh, for the farm store to have, um, you know, be much more accessible, have proper plumbing and electricity. Yeah. Um, and, and really kind of give local organic food the platform that it deserves. So um, it's a charming little store. And now um, we've been open there just over a year. And besides our products, we have 60 producers within 60 miles um, that, whose products we sell there. So it is like an ultimately local uh, local food store. Um, mm -hmm. And it's been a really fun project to work on for sure over the last uh, two years. Yeah, that's quite charming with the painted red like a barn. So is it still red? 
Yeah, it was. It's a historic little building. It was the yeah. original freight depot. Um, so it's right, right, right by the train depot where um, folks get to ride the scenic railroad. And um, it, it's like just yeah, a big old freight barn. Uh, <laughs> Very cool. Full, filled with food. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so talk about the. You've got sixty different vendors in there. It, how did you discover all those? Was that just a process of starting to? reach out to the local food community and say what we're trying to build and people came to you? Well, you know, it, it was really an organic process. I mean, I am at the very heart, uh, like a local foodie, right? So mm -hmm. I'm really ingrained in the culture and in the community of uh, local food here. So um, I really personally do know all of our vendors and producers. Um, and we are really blessed here in Ohio with how much uh, agriculture we have and how many foodies we have yeah. on the production side uh, you know there's it, there's plenty to choose from um we really try to focus on you know small sustainable operations and we really look at organic products and local ingredients as part of uh the producer supply chain and all of that um so, yeah, I mean, I was, you know, a shopper at the farmer's markets and the co-ops and all that. And, and then I was a vendor there as well. And, um, you know, it's just kind of been a growing with me and I've been growing with it. Um, and um, but, we, you know, we do. We, we always welcome, you know, I don't know everybody personally in Ohio. So we always welcome more producers to reach out to us. And we have an easy form on our website uh, for folks that want to submit their information. And then we, you know, follow up with questions and um, see if it's a good fit. Uh, but the more the merrier, you know, we really want to make sure um, that uh, we're useful for all of the consumers and all of the producers um, that we can make. You know, we're, we're nobody's silver bullet. We're nobody's sole income, uh, but we like to be valuable for all of our for all of our mm -hmm. folks. Mm -hmm. Now, with this, do you do consignment? Do you do a general uh, markup that you use or how do you uh, how do people be in your store? Yeah, so we considered, um, I in my past, I've uh, worked with some food co-ops uh, models before and um, things of that nature. Uh, but for this, we really considered the best approach and we decided it's um, to take on that responsibility of um, really curating and owning the stock um, and being responsible for presentation and for the sales and not burden the farmer with yet another um, thing they have to worry about. And you uh -huh. know, so we do, we just straight up buy product from all of our vendors and then we resell it. Gotcha. That makes sense. What kind of a POS system are you using in the store? Clover. Clover. Okay. And you found that superior to the square because of? Oh, you know, I think it's a half a dozen of one, six of the other. Everybody okay. can make that kind of personal choice for themselves. Okay. So yeah, just whatever you kind of works for you. Yeah. That's kind of what we identified as the best option for us. Mm -hmm. Talk about staffing for the farm. So obviously you've got the farm, that's its own thing, but now you've got the farm store. How do you split and uh, put your time? Um, that's a good question. I mean, it, we really operate um, on a shoestring budget and that, you know, we're, we don't have investors, we don't have um, anybody's money but our own to spend, and we don't have much of that. So uh, it's yeah. really, you know, um, rub two sticks together and, and make something of it as we go. So um, uh, it, we really don't have much staff. Uh, we have no staff on the farm. Uh, I'm the sole operator uh, with, uh, I should say, you know, friends and family lending a hand here and there seasonally and volunteers kind of coming in over the years. Um, 
but the and the store we do operate with a small staff and um, so we've been open just over a year and we've had just a couple part-time employees um and that and and that's about it okay gotcha um talk through the um seasonality of the store you've been open for a year have you seen a seasonal ebb and flow with customers what seems to be the busiest um yeah we're still learning as we go i mean the you know five years down the line, I think it'll be a lot easier to like see a really strong pattern. Um, yeah. But we do know a lot of folks have been really like shopping with us since we've been at the farmer's market and, um, you know, and then they shopped with us in the barn and now they're coming to the store. And, um, but we are at that point where uh, folks are finding us even, um, you know, new, we still get new people coming in the door um, now. And it's just been a lot of word of mouth. And, you know, like I said, we don't have like a big marketing budget and things like that. So it really um, has been just kind of the community spreading the word and um, folks showing up and then, um, you know, liking what they see, liking what they eat. So um, people, everybody seems to find a reason to come back. Uh, some people really love our breads. Others mm -hmm. people come back just for the yogurt and the milk, you know, and um, and some people are there for the mushrooms and the microgreens every week fresh. So, you know, and uh, the meat freezer is full and they're always changing out. And um, so everybody kind of finds a niche and uh, we get a lot of shoppers, you know, built coming on a weekly basis and that number is growing. Um, but we do like, you know, the park attracts a lot of visitors. So it's really mm -hmm kind of great opportunity to showcase the best of Northeast Ohio agriculture for all the folks coming to visit the Valley. Um, and, we, you know, we get a lot of really positive feedback from folks and we're just kind of, you know, building for that. Um, all the positive feedback we get, you know, that and, and that's kind of what we're leaning into is um, growing those threads. So, mm -hmm. you know, the seasonality has been really fun because people have been, in fact, like learning, you know, like, oh, the strawberries are done for the season. Like, well, that's good to know. Or, yeah. you know, in the wintertime right now, there's we don't have any goat cheese or goat milk in stock because uh, all the goats are kidding around Ohio. So it's really fun for folks to kind of learn the seasonality of food and for us to help um, introduce those ideas um, in ways they hadn't really considered before. Mm -hmm. um, now, with that shoestring budget, um, talk to me about some of the innovative marketing you've done. I see you've done some bike rides and some sharpening. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, it's all about collaboration. You know, we want to be useful. We want to be relevant. And um, we just really want to participate with our community for all the things that we think folks ought to do more. So, um, yeah, encouraging people to get outside and ride their bikes this winter and then having a cup of hot soup that's made with local organic produce, you know. After that is, is um, you know, if we don't cold day, we didn't get a lot of riders showing up, but at least it sparked an idea for people that, hey, mm -hmm. you know, it's a sunny day. I could ride my bike, too. Um, yeah. and, but it's been a lot of collaboration. We've worked with a lot of events um, in Peninsula with the Main Street program there, um, you know, and we're part of the Countryside Initiative program. So like us, there's um, nine other farms in in the National Park. Um, so wanting to collaborate and work with folks in that way and, um, yeah, just staying relevant, but really, you know, marketing is, is, it's not my forte. It's not kind of the way I think of the business. Um, you know, for me, it's about community development. So I, I know that marketing is like really essential, but I, I always struggle with that piece of, um, how, you know, am I really doing it right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, now let's talk back to the farm a little bit here. Um, so with the farm, what are the main things that you produce? Because you got a wide variety. Yeah. So, I mean, really what we're doing is we're putting in like a perennial food forest. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, into that goes a lot of, um, you know, preparation. So uh, we don't have a uh, we don't have a perimeter fence yet. We just use kind of um, 
temporary like 3d little fencing so uh-huh. with the deer pressure that we have you know I, i'm not um trying to plant more acres and fruit trees until we get a perimeter fence up but the you know the couple acres that we have planted it's really just been um observing if our system has you know if it's the right way to do it right like do it small test the system and then scale it out after that so um, we have a really diverse mix of apple trees and pear trees, um, a lot of berry bushes planted in between, a lot of herbs and um, tubers planted. You know, I'm a big comfrey lover, as every permaculture yeah. folks do. Um, so we've got a lot of that spread out around and really just observing to make sure that this is the good way to organize an orchard. Um, and that, so we've got about two to three acres of that. And I've raised a lot of poultry, specifically like ducks. Um, so I ran a lot of ducks in that orchard um, and things of that nature. But um, what we've, you know, the orchard is like the long term piece, right? Mm-hmm. Like that mm-hmm. really takes years to establish. So in the meantime, um, I did mess around with some annual production, uh, but I realized it was just there, there's other farmers doing that better. And it's something that's really needs, you know, full attention. Um, so what really worked for me to do more of was the pork. I really like raising pigs. Um, yep. I've been doing that for all this time. And then um, I leaned into mushroom production. Um, I toyed around a little bit with like indoor growing. Um, but again, that's, you know, that's um, that takes a lot of attention and focus. And other mm-hmm. folks are doing that better at this point. So I really um, have been doing a lot more of outdoor growing on uh, oak logs, shiitake mushrooms, um, yep. We've been doing that this whole time, and then uh, we have really improved our soil in the orchard by inoculating and then um, harvesting every year the wine cap mushrooms. So okay. those are kind of our two um, big mushroom products, and along with the pork. And then in past years, while we weren't starting the store, um, I was doing a lot more poultry, and I really look forward to getting back to that once the store is up and running. Um, but we do have a big pond and we've got a big orchard and we've got a lot of bugs. So um, it seems like a match made in heaven um, to to raise the duck eggs, which uh, mm-hmm. around here is a really good product. There's not not too many farmers doing that. And um, there's a bit of a market for it. Yeah. All right. So you said a lot there. I want to break that down a little bit because I found some of that very interesting. All right. Wine cap mushrooms. Are you mulching all the trees with um, wood chips and then you're inoculating the wood chips or just inoculating the ground? Yeah, we do wood chips. Yeah. Okay. So um, it's not like the whole orchard floor, but there's uh, like targeted areas. We have a couple uh, like swale and berms um, built into the orchard. So like um, a lot like the swale, for example, is filled with wood chips at the top of a field and inoculated with wine caps um, so that, you know, I have got a couple beds like that. Um, and then, but you know, the wine caps, the cool thing about them is they really do spread. So especially if I got them all planted at the top of a hillside into a swale, um, I've been watching them pop up all like down that, down that hill, uh, which has been really fun. Yeah, 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 absolutely. That's cool. Um, do you have a specific type of, of, uh, wood chips that's worked best for you? Or is it just a mix from whatever you get locally? Uh, you know, I'm not that picky. I'm a really, you know, use what you have and some of it works better. Some of it doesn't work as well. Um, but over the long term, um, you know, I, I think it's enough of a mix that, that it's sufficient. Um, so we do have access to some wood chips here, um, working with the arborists around the park. Um, so it's, it's nice. You know, I'm one of those like use what you have. If you have an easy uh-huh. source for straw, um, you know, use that. If you've got wood chips, use wood chips. If you don't, if it's expensive for you to get either one, you probably shouldn't be growing wine caps. You know, um, then it may not be a good fit. 
Um, so I'm all about like just doing doing what comes easy, um, you know, working with the tide, so to speak. So for us, it, it made sense. Um, we have a lot of water that we can collect. Um, you know, we have these swales that uh, are much better filled than um, kind of sitting as a ditch. And yeah. we have access to wood chips. Um, they need a soil builder and wine caps are pretty low investment. Um, so it was a good experiment that went well. So we just kept rolling with it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, then with the wine caps, are you doing any uh, additional irrigation of that? Or is it just the natural rain that's then just filtering down through the swales and such? Yeah, so it was really just strategic location. Um, okay. I, I have when there is access water, um, I've got a couple like ponds that uh, to get cleaned out, you know, it's nice to pump them out. So like I would use that kind of spare water, for example, and just like pump them out into the swale. But overall, it's just really strategic location of where they do get all the surplus water from, you know, the driveways and the rooftops and whatnot. Um, yeah. So th that was kind of the goal. So we, I, d I definitely, I don't irrigate anything on the farm really. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that's a great way to set it up. And Ohio does have decent amount of water we typically get. So that also obviously helps tr tremendously. Joining me today is Dan from Steward, a mission-driven financial partner for farms across the U.S. Dan, value-added products are exploding right now, and especially farmers are really starting to see the profit in them. Why is that? Well, value-added products give the margin that farmers need to be successful. Selling you know, raw material, raw product at the market price is really challenging. So if you can have a value-added product branded and sold direct, it really provides viability to the farmer. The challenge is there's a lot of pieces that have to come together in order to be successful. Mm. I know for us, taking a cucumber that we were getting a dollar for, turning it into a $7 or $9 jar of pickles made a huge difference in our profit margin. Now, there's a lot of steps, though, that you said need to come together. What are those? So the, the difference between value-added product is you're, you're dealing with processing, packaging, labeling, direct sales. And so a, a lot of farms... Uh, don't necessarily have the infrastructure, they don't have the marketing budget, they don't have all the pieces needed to not only create the products, but push them out into the market. And so we've been working with a lot of farms, we'll, we'll provide a loan for them to build out the equipment and infrastructure needed to, to make the value added product to process it and batch it and label it. And then also assist them with USDA grants, such as the value added producer grant, which can then cover the marketing costs, the labor, softer costs that are hard to finance, but which the farm may not have themselves. So when, when we're looking at value-added products, it's the direction that we support the farms that we fund. That's the direction they should be going over time, more value-added products, better margin, more direct sales. But it takes a lot of uh, alignment with the organization to do that. And you want to make sure there's not too much risk and too many resources uh, expended on that. And so by balancing that with financing and grants and other opportunities that are out there, it can be a really powerful mix for farmers. Mm -hmm. Like that one, two punch to push you over the edge and get you going. I think one of the things a lot of people get frustrated or held back by is a kitchen, you know, those, those facilities. Um, but you know, you can do development even in your own kitchen, as long as you're not selling that product. And then once you get that viability going, then you go find a shared use kitchen or do even build out your own with your help to take it to productions level. Now we've worked with some farms on this. Talk a little bit about that. So one of the farms I enjoyed telling the story about most is Byler's Heritage Acres. is an Amish farm in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. We connected them through a chef who had been buying from this farmer for years. He was selling milk through the co-op. The co-op went out of business. So him and other Amish farmers didn't have a market for their product. So 
Steward provided financing to do value-added processing for dairy to be able to sell butter and cream and yogurt, and also helped the farmer with a value-added producer grant to cover the labor and operational costs to set that up. And the chef who introduced us to this farmer then also purchased the final product and is selling that in his restaurants and at his shop. And so that was an example of taking a farmer who has a really great product, who's been cut out of the traditional market by you know intermediaries falling apart, which happens often, and taking it within their own hands to do a value-added product to cut out the intermediaries and then get the margin that's needed for viability. Obviously, dairy is a very difficult business mm-hmm. and you have to be in value-add to make the numbers work. Absolutely. If you're looking for a non-traditional, mission-driven financial partner who understands the business of regenerative agriculture, reach out to gosteward.com today. Talk about the orchard. I know you talked about having some things planted underneath the trees. Uh, How is that set up? Yeah, so we have a little bit of elevation change on the farm. Um, Mm -hmm. I think... Overall, I mean, I could tell it's kind of like a long rectangle running westward, um, downward, you know, at a slope. Um, I think the total elevation change on the farm is like 80 feet. um, Mm -hmm. That kind of the length of that whole long rectangle. Um, The drop is about 80 foot total. So it's slight enough to to have meaning. Um, So the orchard then is organized on like two acres, like in the middle of that rectangle is kind of where the barn and the house and the hoop house are. Um, so the, those were kind of the nearest acres um, that I planted to, so we can really interact and see if that system's working. So all the rows are on contour. Um, uh-huh. And that was definitely a big part of the design. And then um, each tree, there's there's kind of two orchard fields and they're done a little bit differently just because the topography is a bit different. So the one field that's more uh, kind of conventionally organized, it is just like seven rows and they're all on contour. And then between um, each tree is like a berry bush and a comfrey plant. And mm-hmm. it's getting filled in with, um, you know, different types of crops, like like sorrel, et cetera. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then I do like alley crops between all those rows of annuals. Um, mm. And then like all those rows can have access, you know, for the poultry to like run in between um, seasonally. So I have in that field, like that, that's that's the organization there. So depending on the season, like I'll uh, bring in cardboard and wood chips to kind of lay down seasonal paths um, and sheet mulch and bring in organic matter that way. Um, where I've done annual crops, then I'll, you know, toss in some um, cover mm-hmm. crop seeds and mm-hmm. uh, and go like really heavy on the sunflowers. So I've got a beautiful stand of cover crops with really tall sunflowers. And then we could have um, some like pick your own flowers for a season, you know, and kind of make your money back on those cover crops a little. Um, and so and that field has been working great. I, I, I like that everything about it has been working great. I think like tweaking, you know, the maybe uh just a little bit of the spacing i'm not very detail oriented but in hindsight Mm. it should have been just to really measure you know what's the width of my tractor you know what is that turnaround here and there just to really make sure that it flows so smoothly um the other field is up high and it's a little messier just because the topography is a little wilder um and it was our first field so it was also (laughs) the one that we made more mistakes on um, but there we have more pear trees also. And so with those, we organize them like each one has its own guild. Um, mm-hmm. So it really does have like, you know, like a gooseberry and a comfrey and oregano and a sorrel and a chives and a whatever and horseradish. And it, it, and so it's really meant to um, 
have like no grass and no mm-hmm. rows and just be like sheet mulch the whole time. Um, and that's been working pretty well actually too. Yeah. That, um, so and- you're, you're saying that the whole, that whole orchard is sheet mulch. There's no like, um, like annuals between the rows. Not so much anymore. Yeah. And okay. um, there are still area like, so uh, kind of the first half, like the first half of that field is as you described, like the second half of that field um, that, that definitely still has like a lot more grassy pathways um, and things like that. But the rows themselves, uh, I really have phased out the annual production there more okay. or less. So um, it's like strawberries and asparagus mixed together, um, you know, and and some grass kind of like coming back through. But overall, um, it's really transitioned nicely to kind of just be orchard. Very nice. Very nice. Um, let's talk about the ducks. Um, actually, the first when I started farming, gosh, 18 years ago now, the first uh, thing I got was ducks. So, um, and we started with Muscovy ducks. We moved to some runners. We actually did a a fair number of different types. What type of ducks do you use? We use Muscovies as well. And we had um, also the Pekin ducks Mm -hmm. and uh, we had, oh, what were those called? They're almost like a hybrid, but um, those like brown Oh, you know, I even forget the proper name for them. They were like out of a catalog, like a hybrid kind of oh. like a pecan and a runner mix. And yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. They're um, yeah, and they're supposed to so, lay more eggs. Yeah, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, for sure. And they did. And it was interesting to see. And you know, I still I would like to get runner ducks too and like compare those mm-hmm. in the batch. Um, because I really see how different ducks, like they really have different value, you know. And then it's like same for yeah. the pigs, right? Like one pig won't fit a different farm. Um, and so they all kind of have their strengths, you know, the Muscovies were the best in that they were the quietest. Yes. That made all the difference for me mentally, but the fact that they don't really lay any eggs in the winter, you know, mm-hmm. you really kind of like lose some of that value. Um, the Peking ducks were amazing layers, the biggest eggs, but they are so dang loud and messy. I just, yes. they like the anxiety never quit with them. Um, so they're just really hard to handle in large numbers unless yes. you have like, you know, headphones on all the time like you gotta you gotta yeah 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 um because you want to go outside it's quiet right that romantic morning chores but then there's like a pile of like anxious dogs like quacking (laughs) your face yes just not a nice way to start the day I didn't think um so there's kind of but they did lay through the winter you know and Mm -hmm. their eggs were great so um yeah there's kind of value to all of them depending on what fits the situation, you know? Um, but yeah. so I would definitely do them again, probably not like, so yeah, actually, I mean, my plan is to do them again this year. Um, I just, I just haven't ordered them yet. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. We just processing them is the hard thing. I mean, there are people out there that have dialed it in and they can pick a duck and it looks beautiful, but that's just, wasn't my strength. <laughs> so, um, that is one of the reasons we tried to go Muscovies because they're supposedly a little bit easier to pick, but I still found they weren't as easy as chi- as chi- chickens are literally like dunk them in that water and they are clean. They are clean. Yeah, it's true. It was a big difference. And that was something we really, um, tried to hone over mm-hmm. the course of a couple of years of like really improving that system. Yeah. Uh, but even our best version was still really labor intensive. So I, but at the end of the day, what I decided is like the meat ducks were great, but I really liked raising them for eggs. Um, So in that case, you know, it's a bit different and I don't mind butchering a few birds at the end of their life. Like, and you know, um, yeah, in that way, right. It's a little different, but when when it's income dependent and you can't have a feather in there, um, they were definitely are labor intensive. So 
if you live close to a processor, you know, and kind of like that's the system, or you're really investing in poultry and you're going to have like the state of the art equipment, um, you know, yeah, you kind of just have to make your choices. And at the end of the day, you got to like invest in whatever system you want to succeed with commercially. Um, So you can, and you can't do them all. Right. So yeah, you really kind of have to pick, pick which system you're going to invest in. Correct. Now yeah. with, with the ducks, um, how are you uh, handling them? Do you have like chicken tractors? Do you have a house? Do you have? Yeah. For, so for all of our animals, we've, um, our big factor here is that our farm sits on a ridge, um, and we get really strong winds, um, coming up the, like our big open field. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is something we struggle with. So whatever shelters we had to design, like really had to withstand some, uh, extreme winds. Um, so we went through a couple models that, you know, flew away into the forest or whatnot. Um, yeah. And yeah, yeah. so, yeah. So now we have the, they're kind of like, um, a hoop house, but with a, metal like steel frame on the bottom and they're obviously like smaller mm-hmm. um and i just put like a couple like two wheels on the back and so i can like pick up the front you know and roll them forward um and it's like four hoops there may be like uh what are they i think i should know off the top of my head like 10 by 12 is i think what okay. their is um and then we can just drape plastic over the top put some um like you know cut up crates for nesting boxes on the back wall um, and then for the ducks, I really, they have fewer predators than chickens too. So I didn't need them to be so secure and because they are so messy and they don't need to go up high. Um, I really didn't even have a floor in their, um, uh-huh, shelter. Uh-huh. I would just have the crates and, um, I try to keep like just a clean straw for the, for the leg, for the egg laying area. Um, but that, that's really all they needed. And, um, I had, yeah, like a water and out of water that I had like gravity fed and, um, from a tank sitting up high and yeah. And I pastured, I just moved them around from row to row from mm-hmm. one orchard field to the next and so on. Gotcha. Very cool. Let's move on to the pigs. Um, what breeds have been working well for you? Cause I know you mentioned breeds can be different depending on the farm. Yeah, I um I wanted something that you know, so I started with the pigs. My kids were still little, and I wanted them to get into it. And um, mm-hmm. we looked around at different things, and we kind of settled on this farm, one farm that we've been working with, and it's been really great. Um, they raise and like breed certified Idaho pastured pigs, um, and we just take all their feeders, which works great. So um, the Idaho pastured pigs are uh, crossed between three heritage varieties like Berkshire, Duroc, and Cooney Cooney. Mm. Um, which makes for um, a low impact, like low feed, really docile, like friendly pigs. Um, they don't finish out maybe quite as large as some of the commercial mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, hogs do, but um, I have, you know, I have gotten them live weight to like 325 or so. Um, and, but, you know, but we do get the feeder pigs and there is a lot of genetic diversity, which is a strength, but then commercially speaking, you know, some of the pigs end up a little smaller um, at the end of the season. So, there's pluses and minus, like depending on what you're doing, but they are not aggressive at all. Um, they're really trainable. They're very hardy um, in the cold, in the dry, in the hot, like in all of it. They're very hardy pigs. Um, they don't take as much feed to finish out, um, to grow, to put on the weight. Um, they don't root as much, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. so they don't damage the the fields as much. Um, they, yeah, and they put on weight just on grass. Um, better than gotcha. others. So we yeah. found, we found like a lot of pluses to them. And at the end of the day, like the meat is um, just outstanding. Mm-hmm. Now, are do, the, mm-hmm. 
are these more of an established line or is this something where you're constantly making sure that the, the parent breeding stock of these specific types and constantly getting the, the animals out of that? No. So th this is like, I knew again, like, yeah, are, are, am I going to get yeah. into this for like the long haul? Then I'm going to have to get really good on the breeding side. Yeah, and, yeah. and I, we just weren't ready to invest in that infrastructure. So the way I have it set up is that this farm that we work with um, just, uh, you know, 45 minute drive away, um, that that's, that's on them and they're amazing okay. at it and they do it really well. Um, and they, you know, they just, they have the piglets, uh, weaned at only like a 12 weeks, which okay. is great. And then we just pick them up and, um, raise them to, to the finish. Perfect. Yeah. Gotcha. So they made it work good for you. So it sounds like it's got the best of all three of those varieties kind of mixed together then. That's the idea. I mean, surely yeah. I can tell sometimes when like there's a particular gene now, you know, after several years, you're kind of like, ah, those, those ones, that curly tail yeah. is going to be like extra hard to put on the trailer or something. You can just tell. Yeah. Yeah. But, but that's how it happens with everybody and everything, right? There's somebody's got to have extra personality. So, mm -hmm. um, but generally speaking, yeah, we love them. They're really great. Cool. Um, now the apple orchard that you're doing for cider, um, are those specific cider varieties? Um, and are you planning on doing that as a fresh cider, apple cider vinegar, or like even a like a like a, a cider uh, ferment? Yeah, hard hard cider is yeah, definitely yeah. the goal. Um, okay. And that's more on my husband's side. Jimmy is the um, he's on the cider side. Uh, that's his jam. He's good at it. Um, that's what he does. And um, although he's pretty humble about it. So I talk him up way more than he'd let me. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, but we do, we grow a wide variety of cider apples. And part of that was just to see what would grow well for us here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and then again, like as we were planting the rest of the acreage, um, after the pigs are there, you know, then we'll be way more confident about how to really like select for particular varieties. Um, gotcha. But we knew we found a couple of nurseries we really like working with and the trees we get from them are really, you know, fantastic. But even within that, we see that some varieties are just growing better, right, than others. Um, mm -hmm. So now it's kind of like, ah, yeah, I'll definitely never get any of those again. You know, whether it's a rootstock or a fruit, like we could just see what what, what what's not easy, right? Like maybe yeah. we could do it better, um, but why not just go with what's working easy. Um, and when in that way, we're not really picky, you know, it'd be great if I could have this particular apple or that, but Hey, you know, if it's something else then we're open to it. And, um, some of these, we, we are getting that they're like good for cider and good, fresh eating apples. Um, we'd love to eat fresh apples, you know, but, um, yeah. you're not going to be like your grade a perfect, like yeah. Yeah. Smiths or anything like that. And what varieties have those been? Oh, I mean, anything from like Black Oxford to uh -huh. like Liberty and Gold Rush, like Wine Sap, um, Yellow Transparent. Yeah, like even some of those early varieties, just to see if we could make some applesauce, you know, in the summer um, yeah. to some of those like really late varieties um, that, you know, let you store through the winter. Um, there's also some like pear trees mixed in. Um, oh, you know, cool. I wouldn't mind yeah. a good pairy. Um, and yeah. And, you know, right now we're still like, we're buying apples from Northeast Ohio, just from the orchards we work with. And in the fall, like we'll just do a pressing just to kind of, uh, you know, hone that craft and keep, yeah. keep, keep pressing the apples. And it's great. Cause you know, on our farm, like all those spend apples, I, I definitely like make a batch of vinegar with that. Right. But uh -huh. um, you know, uh -huh. we're not commercially licensed, so I can't sell that, but I can also like share those spent apples with the pigs in the fall. And you know, the, 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 the meat is even more outstanding in that way. So it's, yeah, just kind of like building those systems and the cider like fits really well into it. 
Um, mm -hmm. This farm historically at one point there many, many, many years ago, there was an orchard here. Um, so I feel like that's that's a, a good sign, you know, that it was fruitful here before. So um, it fits great into that timeline and it just kind of fits great with um, the permaculture approach to really doing perennial agriculture. And um, as far as, you know, making a farm profitable, um, you can sell apples, but when you sell a glass of hard cider, you know, you're really, you're really paying, paying that up, um, paying that mm -hmm. much more for those apple trees. Um, so I think in, in a lot of ways, it just, it makes sense to, to do something like that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Very cool. Um, I think that's all the questions I had. Did you have anything else you wanted to share about the farm or the systems or how you've got it set up? Um, I mean, as far as the farm goes, you know, it's a work in progress. Um, uh -huh. Yeah, we definitely like did the really like big design and I definitely feel more confident about it now than I even did then that it was the right move and the right approach um, to design the landscape um, using the, the using that approach, using the permaculture design system. And, um, you know, now it, it's a lot of work on the front end, but I really like do see how it's becoming established and a little bit more self-regulated. Um, mm -hmm. And it, it's been a really, really fun process to um, integrate, you know, the shiitakes into the system and um, the apple trees and the pigs. It, it's really fun how um, there's so much diversity. You know, you really it never gets boring. And if something's failing, you know, you don't get too, too saddened by it because right there next to it, you see something that's working really well. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I really like that part about it. Yeah. Is there anything you would have changed about the design now that you've been working with it for a while? Yeah, I think in our first orchard field, like I would have done more soil prep. I mean, we're I'm still like there's more weed pressure than there ought to be. And I know yeah. that's just because I was um, um, just kind of clumsy with it in the beginning. And I just really wanted to hurry up and get those trees in, you know, and yeah. hurry up yeah. and get things going and growing. And um, yeah, and then so in the end, you kind of give yourself a little bit more work. So the more I'm still out there weeding, <laughs> thinking, gosh, yeah. I really, I really could have done something about that. But what are you going to do? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Appreciate you coming on and sharing your story and uh, super excited to see everything working out for you and especially the farm store. Cause I'm, that's one thing I'm super passionate about is more, you know, access to local food um, that is kind of cooperative. So I'm glad to see that, but again, thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks for having me. So there you have it. Another episode in the books. So I'd love if you would hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Those mean everything to us. We love to hear what you're thinking. If you have a podcast guest that you can recommend, please pop on over to the Thriving Farmer podcast website and leave us a review. That's thrivingfarmerpodcast.com.